Live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center, it's Cofield and Company. You what? need to wash your hands after you use the restroom. Yes. With Steve Cofield. I like messing with him, but he's got the perfect face for radio. <laughs> Adam Candy. This is gotcha journalism. But you know what? They're not going to gotch me. It's time for Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go. Five o'clock hour, Battleborn Broadcast Center, home of Battleborn Injury Lawyers. You missed the spot earlier with Justin Watkins, our ESPN Las Vegas legal insider. That'll be podcasted right after the show. Good first three hours. We just got done talking about Stanley Cup final game number two. Montreal and the Lightning about to drop the puck here at the start of the five o'clock hour. Adam Candy is in. We've got uh, Angel on the scene here helping us out at the BBBC. Let's do it. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Five, number five. Candy, I wanted to do a little catch up because I know you like baseball too. Um, and look at where the A's are with their brass, with Las Vegas. Uh, this story was out a couple of days ago. Mick Aker is doing a good job of uh, tracking this whole thing. Were you surprised to see that the A's have now looked at 20 different sites for a stadium around Las Vegas? No, not at all. I mean, this is theater. This entire thing is theater. <laughs> like. We are we are pawns in a much larger play here, and uh, we can report breathlessly on this as much as we want, and we should because a Major League Baseball team coming here would be big news. But uh, right now, this is all a situation for the A's to get as much media around this as is humanly possible. Um, and why would you not want to create competition from within the Las Vegas Valley, right? You want areas throughout Southern Nevada to think they have a chance of getting the Oakland A's there, right? You want that competition. You want Henderson to be out here giving out half-price land. You want North Las Vegas to be out here doing what it did with Faraday Future and trying to give away the keys on a tax deal. Like, you want these jurisdictions thinking they have a shot, so of course you're going to talk about having 20 different sites. Were you surprised at some of the, the areas that were mentioned? I thought it was interesting. I kind of I'd filed this one away as a, a non-option for any sort of stadium. Uh, it is mentioned in the story the UNLV-owned parcel at Trop near Koval. Ah, yes. Let's build it in the flight path. That sounds like <laughs> a plan. Come on, stop with that. Stop with the, the with that parcel. I'll believe that just as soon as I believe the parcel out by 15 and blue diamonds, which I had someone coming up to me at the Raiders stadium meetings for six months, telling me that that, that wasn't the real deal that they knew about the real deal that was coming all right. the way out uh, at the edge of the freeway. Cool story, bro. Yeah. Um, as you mentioned, yeah, 15 and blue diamond uh, property South of the South point has been mentioned. Uh, by the way, UNLV officials uh, are going to meet with the A's on their next trip to Las Vegas, which is uh, slated for, Next week, there was also a meeting with Phil Ruffin, who now owns Circus Circus uh, and owns the Las Vegas Festival Grounds. Hmm. 
Dave Cavill, the president of the A's, said there is a site, obviously, at Circus Circus that is interesting. So we're going to continue with folks like Ruffin and others to learn more. What's what's the site at Circus Circus? Like the Circus Circus? Would they take it down? Is there so much property there that somehow you would squeeze in a stadium in that area? Well, this would be impressive. I mean, we know that the Raiders paid the better part of $70 million for their stadium site on the opposite side of Mandalay Bay across the fifteen. Um, I wonder how desperate Clark County is to get someone onto the North Strip uh, that, you know, what this deal could end up looking like. Of course, Clark County doesn't control the land. It's a private deal, et cetera, et cetera. But there are ways to grease the skids on these things. Um, I don't know. Are we talking about uh, building it at Las Vegas Boulevard in Sahara? Uh, you know, just to uh, just the, to the north of, Right. No, that's what I'm saying. That's, that's, yeah, what, yeah, that's yeah. What, what I'm getting into here yeah. is uh, I actually I have another idea. What if we were to take the the circus circus thunderdome the the old grand slam adventure what if we were to have the a's play inside the pink palace what do you think <laughs> i think you're clowning on this whole discussion i, I am you're buying there were anything but a pawn in this i lived through the expos coming here and making a mockery of us i've lived through a whole lot of them that didn't turn out to be the real thing and because this is all happening on the back of bobby baseball rob manfred saying uh, Ace, do you want me to say something about how you're going to have to explore other sites? Yeah, I, I think we uh, we are we are played until told we are unplayed. I don't care that you don't care, so I'm going to continue to talk about these options, which also include Derek Stevens meeting as a rep of downtown with the A's people and uh, giving them a rundown of how a ballpark and, and team could work downtown. I guess the downtown site is still Cashman. Have you heard other possibilities? Um I like the idea of Cashman because I think you would, it would revitalize and clean up that short portion of LV Boulevard that you would have to walk to get out to Cashman right now at night. Probably not the, the most fun place to walk around. I'm always a supporter of downtown. Uh, Derek Stevens today, the Goodmans for the last 20 years. I and mean, it is not a new story when it comes to talking about developing in the downtown area. I think if you're talking about building a stadium that is going to be tourist friendly that is going to be uh, mixed use development like we like to talk about building restaurants and shops around it and so on um, there, there, that's a lot of land we're not just talking about Cashman we're talking about everything from the 95 all the way down to Cashman and probably a few blocks to the other side uh, back in the uh, Zappos Wonderland down there too number four are we going on like a week now of Scotty Pippen talking and people reacting yes so it started out with pippen getting after kevin durant durant then flamed through him and brought up exactly what we did on this show uh when these comments first came out when pippen was saying you know durant is no lebron durant came back with uh, who are you you you're freaking you wouldn't get off the bench in a key spot because you got all mad because the play wasn't drawn up for you so Kyrie went after him. Uh, Pip's been going after other people. Then he finally dropped the bomb where he's saying that the reason he wasn't in there and, you know, he, he sat out is because he got pissed off because Coach Coach was in, and that's because Phil Jackson made a racial decision. Robert Ori was on a uh, podcast and and talked about this and tried to get us all calmed down a little bit, uh, saying that, uh, hey, listen, Scotty Pippen's going through a lot. Well, I'm going to give him a pass right now. Yeah. I know I shouldn't. But I will because I've lost a child, so I know how your mind can work at times. So I'm going to just sit back and, you know, 
to he comes out and gives a statement or what's going on with him or whatever not. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna judge the man because you know right now he might not be in a good place mentally. Okay, how about the Phil Jackson is a racist part? I played for Phil. I don't think Phil is racist. He said some stuff before that kind of you know I had to I had to check him on it. But <laughs> for me, I don't I don't I don't think he's racist. I just think you know. Before we move on from that, is there anything specific that you ever remember Phil saying that you were like, because eh, you said you had to check him a couple times? So I don't know if anything stood out. And we were in a huddle. And Phil was like, um, "You need to know the sound of your master's voice." And I looked at him. I was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa! Uh, uh, we don't do that. I'm from the south." And he was like, "No, I don't mean like that. I don't mean like that. You know, I, I mean like you know." Whoa. And I knew where he was trying to come across as saying because in right. the arenas, you need to understand and hear your the person that's trying to lead you. You need, to, and I understand. I said, "But there's certain words you can use," and I'm like, "We ain't that close yet." Okay. Candy, does that change anything for you on what Pippen was saying, that uh, Kukoc was chosen to take the shot, Pippen then got mad, sat on the bench because it was a racial decision? Quite honestly, I was at the point with listening to Scottie Pippen already where I wanted to say, hey, what's going on, right? And and obviously he's got a lot of stuff personally happening right now because Scottie Pippen has certainly spoken out in the past, but it's never been this consistent. It's never been this deteriorating. It's never been this spiraling. Um, I think I'm I'm squarely planted with Robert Ori in terms of saying this is so far away from what we've seen uh, out of Scottie Pippen that I, there's no way I'm jumping in on on the you know on, on piling on the guy right now because this just seems like something else must be happening. Number three. A lot of jokes last night when uh, some scuttlebutt came out that uh, Dennis Schroeder in his new deal is looking for somewhere in the uh, $100 to $120 million range. I saw someone respond with, well, that'll be interesting if they can sign him to a 120-year deal. Yep. Yeah, that seems about I, the uh, the reasonable response. I feel like the run in Lakerland may be over here. I don't know that the Lakers are going to budget. Uh, whatever it would be, $20, $25 million a year for Dennis Schroeder after, especially what we saw in the postseason. If you are a player who had a zero next to your name at any point in the playoffs next to the points column, this might not be the time to be talking about 100 to $120 million. And that happened to Dennis Schroeder in the playoffs this year. But if we would just talk about it realistically with the Lakers, when you have two guys on the max like you do with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, then there's nobody else on that roster who's getting that kind of money. That's just not the way the team's going to be constructed. Now, is Dennis Schroeder wrong to say he wants his money? No. Yeah. Hell no. Go out there and get the bag if someone's willing to give it to you. Right? If there's a GM out there who wants to dream on getting Dennis Schroeder scoring point guard to lead his team to the next level, go for it. That's that's your prerogative, but is it going to be with the Lakers, bro? You put up a zero in a playoff game when they needed you. No. Number two. Uh, speaking of the Lakers, LeBron James sounds like LeBron is not going to be involved in any Olympics moving forward. Maybe his mind would change if his son was somehow involved. But I think this is great. Um, I started saying it last week with Kevin Durant, James Harden, when they were talking about doing it. Harden's out, Durant's in. I don't see the purpose for star NBA players, older guys. I don't see the need to go and compete in the Olympics for the U.S. I think, I think it's all risk, 
some reward if you've already won. What's the point? Um, there's so much downside to it to me. Did we not just hear from LeBron a couple of weeks ago talking about all of the injuries in the NBA playoffs this year yep. and saying, I told you, I told you that coming out of the bubble, not having a full offseason, playing as many games as we did was going to lead to players getting injured. So I don't think we need to run through the list of everyone who has been hurt in the playoffs this year once again. But that list being as long as it is tells you that guys need to manage their bodies the way that they need to do to take care of their brand and their business and the business of the NBA. And I mean, I laugh in a way because we've come so far from 1992 and, and talking about the dream team and getting past only amateurs and why aren't professional players going and so on and so on. Yeah, well, there are still some professional players going. But if LeBron James, who has been a physical marvel to this point, says that's not what what's best for me, then no one should be criticizing him. They should shut up and let him do what he does to create one of the best entertainment products in the world. I'll tell you on top of that, the other thing that would dissuade me from competing this year is the way this Gwen Berry stuff is going because uh, Gwen Berry claims that uh, she was kind of duped into being out there for the national anthem. She doesn't want to be out there for the national anthem. She turned her back to the flag, and then you've got political opportunists, as they're going to do, getting on Gwen Berry. You know what? I'm out. I don't want to be part of this. You're going to try to weaponize this whole thing up yours. And if people are out there like, it's the greatest thing ever to compete for your country. Is it anymore? Is it? When it becomes weaponized? Nah. I'll pass. I'll compete in some world championships. Everyone knows the most important tournament uh, in the entire world in basketball is the NBA playoffs and the championship. Come on. This is a uh, this is a tournament for S's and giggles. Now, nah, I'm not playing if I'm an NBA player. Number one. All right. Marc-Andre Fleury won the Vesna. And immediately I see a bunch of media people in the market are like, well, let don't get all emotional. Pump the brakes. He's still got to go. You're in that group. Oh, put me in the car and send me right over that cliff. Why don't you, Cofield? Uh, no, I don't think Marc-Andre Fleury has to be traded for the Golden Knights. But I do think any player who is going to be 37 years old, who has one year left on his contract, who is a luxury to be carrying at 37 years old on a one-year contract, needs to be looked at seriously because this team has made clear we are a Stanley Cup contender. It is cup or bust. Well, it was bust. And it wasn't Marc-Andre Fleury's fault that it was bust, but when that happens, no one is immune. Absolutely no one should be immune from the Golden Knights looking at their team right now and saying, if an opportunity came along to trade this player, would this make us a better team in the short term slash in the long term? That doesn't mean go trade him. That doesn't mean trade Mark Stone. That doesn't mean trade Alex Petrangelo. It doesn't mean go and blow up the whole thing. But if your goal is the cup and you have fallen short, especially against inferior teams in the last couple of years, then no one is immune. No one should be safe. And so Marc-Andre Fleury is one of the most tradable assets that the Golden Knights have. One year, $7 million coming off of Vezina Trophy, when last year you could not have kicked the guy out of town 
with $3 million attached to him on his contract. No one would take him. He did not play for the Golden Knights this year because the Golden Knights wanted him there. He played for the Golden Knights this year because nobody else wanted him anywhere else at the price that he was going to cost. Now, he went out there and did it the best way you could to shove it up the Golden Knights' backsides to say, you know what, you don't want me? Here I am. He pulled Aaron Rodgers. He pulled the Rodgers. He came right back and said, you know what? You think you're getting rid of me? No, you're not getting rid of me. I'm going to go out there and play the best I ever did in my career. And Marc-Andre Fleury showed that he still has something to offer. But the Golden Knights are in a position right now where they have Robin Leonard signed for four more years at a reasonable contract. And Pete DeBoer trusted Robin Leonard in enough big spots in an elimination game this year to throw Robin Leonard out on the ice. If you trust him that much, if you have Logan Thompson, who everyone talks about as a potential Vezina kind of player down the line in his career, behind him at a cost control, you would be doing malpractice to your team not to look at the possibility of trading Marc-Andre Fleury. It's the Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured, call Justin Watkins at Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 570-9000. 3-1, and this ball hit well. Deep out to center field, and that one is gone! Way up there. Gallo with a massive home run. 17th of the year, and he has tied the game. You're listening to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Trying to go the opposite way, (laughs) and he has another home run for Gallo. Holy moly. Yeah, hometown guy Joey Gallo with two home runs yesterday. That's courtesy of Rangers TV. Uh, speaking of the uh, mega stars of baseball, Shohei Otani today starting on the mound, hitting as well. Well, he's out of the lineup because he's out of the game as a pitcher, Candy. He got just annihilated by the Yankees. Two-thirds, seven runs, four walks, left the bases loaded. Not a good day for Shohei. Not a good day for baseball because they were pitching this particular outing for Shohei Otani (laughs) after him hitting a couple of home runs in the Bronx yesterday as you seen him hit now come see him pitch you goodness no are you mad I are so here's where I'm stuck because (laughs) I'm thrilled to see the Yankees beat him around I have Shohei Otani the pitcher on my fantasy team Uh, fantasy you get to use him each week as a hitter and a pitcher you got to pick one uh, you you buy him separately. So in our auction, you had to purchase him separately. You could theoretically have both halves of him. Um, <laughs> I, of course, only have the... I had him as a prospect, and then yeah. I had both halves of him last year. And this year, I was like, you know what? I just want the pitcher. Like, I'm just going to go for the pitcher this year. Yeah. No. So we were talking about the uh, the Flurry-Leonard dynamic in the offseason. You got to split these guys up. Uh, Flurry's the guy who, uh, in spite of winning the Vesna, maybe you got to move him to get some help on this team. How good is Logan Thompson? Ask the American Hockey League. Uh, I mean, I mean, Logan Thompson was the man down there this year. Okay, um, so he's he's, re- you know, he's ready to play in a in a in a bigger role on this level. The question is: Are the Golden Knights a team that wants to go one A one B, or are the Golden Knights going to be a team that goes with a more traditional split between the goaltenders and goes you know two thirds three quarters for one? Because if that's the case, then yeah, I think Logan Thompson is ready to be a number two goaltender in the NHL. Is he ready to carry the 
same workload as Robin Leonard and Mark Andre Fleury did. I mean, not without expecting that there'll be some drop off. Right. So he's a backup. He's he'd be a backup coming out of the gates. Um, if you're in such need of help and you want to free up some money, why wouldn't you free up money and actually trade the more tradable guy? Why not just go for Flurry or go with Flurry for two more years this year and sign him to another year and trade Leonard, who's on the affordable contract and would be extremely attractive in a trade? Why isn't Leonard the guy who we talk about moving? Every player on the roster, I said last segment, should be under consideration. Every single player. So Leonard, I too. just think you. I, why would Leonard not be? If you can make your team better, yeah. Why not? If you can make your team better, and that's a giant if. But when we talk about Mark Andre Fleury having one year on his contract at seven million dollars, I think you're going to find a lot of teams that are close that say to themselves, "All right, you know what? Let's take a shot." Let's take a shot. Let's take a shot at Marc-Andre Fleury on a one-year deal. Why? Because goaltending in the NHL is notoriously up and down. And so do you want to commit to four years of Robin Leonard knowing full well that, what, you're hoping to get two good years? You're hoping to get three good years? You don't know. You don't know. You just don't have any idea year to year what you're going to get out of goaltenders. Marc-Andre Fleury is proof. Two seasons ago, you couldn't trade the guy. Now this year... He might be one of the hottest assets on the market. So that's because, in part, he has a one-year deal as opposed to the four for Robin Leonard. Let's talk about just how cool this Vesna award was for Marc-Andre Fleury and what this team is going to look like moving forward, what they need to change. We'll uh, bring on one of the uh, great analysts in hockey. Uh, Darren Pang is up next on Cofield & Company. The phones are always open on Cofield and Company. Call 702-364-1100 now. Cofield and Cofield and Company. Edmund keeps the puck alive. Cross-ice pass. Oh, and a glove save made by Price to rob Steven Stamkos. Oh, man, how good is this? Well, the Canadians are going to need a lot of that. Right now, it's scoreless in the second game of the Stanley Cup Final, about eight minutes in, and uh, Price got you know blistered at times by the Lightning. We want to get into the series for the Cup. Also, what's going on with the Knights, but uh, most importantly, the award that Fleury just got, the Vesna. Uh, certainly surprising for a lot of people, considering what the situation was at goalie at the start of the season for the Golden Knights. And Darren Pang has uh, analyzed the game for a long time. He played the game. He was between the pipes, and he joins... Steven Adam here in Vegas. How are you, sir? I'm doing fantastic. Just watching the uh, first period of the Montreal-Tampa Bay game and, uh, you know, thinking today and, you know, of, of Mark andre winning for the first time, it just goes to show you, you know, how great that position is and just the wealth of riches every single year. You don't have that many opportunities to win it. So I'm really happy for Mark andre Fleury. And I know he's, maybe he's had better years than this. I'm not sure, but I thought he was outstanding this season uh, from the very get-go. From a personality standpoint, you know, I'm sure you, you know you know him. You've talked to him. Why is this so cool to you for Flurry at this age? <laughs> because he he just I don't know. If if I were a goalie growing up and I saw Mark Andre Flurry in the warm up in a game, the way he handles people, I would want to be Mark Andre Flurry. I mean, I grew up in an era where I wanted to be Rogie Vashon or Mike Palmateer, um, you know. And I I think you know Mark Andre's a you know, a, a better goaltender than those two, but there's something that that draws you towards 
Mark, Andre. Um, I, I always say, I try to explain to people because I was, you know, an energetic, you know, uh, energetic guy that was athletic, but, but I always had a smile on my face or, or people thought I did. And, and I always say to them, like, do you know how hard it is for Mark Andre to keep that smile on his face all the time? <laughs> and, and you know, right? I mean, do you know how difficult it is when, when things aren't going your way? When you get pulled from a playoff series like you did against Ottawa a couple of years ago and Matt Murray took over, you know how tough it is to go in that locker room and be this jovial, smiling, energetic guy? Like, you know what? You want to have a grumpy day, too. And Mark andre gets himself out of it really quick. So my whole career, I've been just impressed with that aspect of Mark and just just what he does. But, but more than anything else, I'm, I'm impressed with how he plays the game. I'm impressed with the way that he is been able to adjust to the game, uh, a game in which six foot five, six foot six, six foot seven goaltenders are taken over. Um, he still has more hockey sense than they do. He still has more athleticism than they do, and he reads the play better than they do. So uh, that's why I cheer for Mark Andre Fleury, to be quite honest with you. And I think the other thing that's uh, maybe lost on the rest of the country, and maybe even here, uh, 10, 15 years from now, uh, whatever the amount of time is that he spends in Vegas, what he's done in Vegas to get the Golden Knights off to this start with uh, you know four years and three appearances in the finals is going to be something legacy-wise that's going to match anything he did. It is. It is. Because he, you would consider him in the golden years, but you'd also consider that the Pittsburgh Penguins made a very, very big mistake. Yeah. I mean, that, that's just it for me. I mean, who was the best goal the Pittsburgh Penguins had? You know, they thought it was Matt Murray. Matt Murray's long gone. Um, and, in fact, uh, if I understand this correctly, uh, the only team that Mark Andre would go back to, I thought, was Pittsburgh. And there was a couple of teams trying to do a three-way deal to get him back there. Um, but, you know, that doesn't work out. And at the end of the day, who becomes the most valuable player of the uh, Vegas Golden Knights? Mark Andre again. So, you know, a lot of guys sit and tout and sulk when things don't go their way. But, again, it's another good lesson for any young athlete, any any young person it doesn't have to be an athlete. It has to be how you how you rise above, and I think that's maybe his greatest attribute is uh, is the way that he uh, you know he doesn't lay down, and I I just love him for that. Hockey insider, former NHL goaltender Darren Pang, joining us here on Cofield and Company. Uh, you mentioned the decision that the Penguins had to make, and there are some people in Las Vegas who believe that there will be a decision to be made in the off season whether it's Marc-Andre Fleury, whether it's Robin Leonard, that one of them, because of salary cap concerns, could be potentially on the trading block. Uh, what do you think of the situation that the Golden Knights find themselves in uh, coming into this offseason? Well, they do have a wealth of riches. I mean, I mean, it's all about managing the cap. I think, you know, when they look back at it, they're probably thinking the worst-case scenario is the cap will go up, um, and if Marc-Andre, because of his contract, uh, you know, doesn't want to go anywhere other than here, well, then we can still afford $12 million with our goaltenders. I mean, you can always make it work. I mean, you can have two cheap defensemen. You can get rid of some veteran players that make 4 or $5 million and bring in some $900,000 players. It weakens your team, uh, but that, that, if that's what you have to do, then that's what you do. But now the cap is flat. Um, now we've got an expansion situation coming up, although Vegas is, uh, is free of that. But, uh, you know, it, it, I mean, sometimes there's not that many options. So... Um, you know, I, I, I would, I would have to think, I, I I'm just going to guess, I, I guess to say that Mark Andre stays there. They start the year again with the uh, Robin Leonard and Mark Andre Fleury. And I'm, I'm really proud of both of them, uh, 
relationship-wise because there's a lot of times where egos take the best of a situation and don't allow the other guy back inside the door. And I've, I've been down that road before as a player. I've been down that road before as a broadcaster. I, I, I watched uh, when I retired from the game, I think it was Eddie Belfour and Jeff Hackett. And, boy, they almost divided the room. And they end up traded, traded Eddie Belfour to uh, San Jose and kept Jeff Hackett. So that's the last thing that you can afford to do. And the great news about these two guys, is they have respect and they like each other, so they can make it work. So I guess what I'm saying is I can only guess that it's going to stay this way at least to begin next year. So I'm curious, Darren, uh, what you can expound upon or what you care to uh, with what you just said there about managing those situations you know, within a locker room, whether it's your own experience, whether it's, you know, you, you talked about what, uh, what you saw Belfort and Hackett go through. Like, what, what, do you, what can you do? What does it do to a locker room? Well, first of all, if your goaltenders divide a locker room, good luck. <laughs> because you're going to have, you know, one half's going to, maybe the young guys are going to like the young guy, the old guys are going to like the old guy, and, and then you're not able to put it together. And that's when you've got trouble. Um, that's what I was saying. But uh, that's what has impressed me most about these two guys is that that hasn't happened. And, you know, it could have easily have divided that locker room. And, you know, maybe the older guys that go out and have dinner and the wives, you know, with Mark Andre. And then Robin Leonard fights the other way, and the other guys go towards him. Again, I reiterate, that's what impresses me the most, is that hasn't happened and doesn't look like that will happen, which is great on these two guys. They've, you know, there's, there's a greater good, and you've got to check your ego at the door, and I think they both have done exactly that for the greater good of the team. Darren Pang is up on Cofield & Company. Did you play golf today? Did you get the golf in? Absolutely. I certainly did. I try to play golf as much as possible. And I had former top guy uh, Joe Kosher uh, with me today as a partner here. I, yeah. I've got a little place in Michigan. I play a lot of golf here. So I, I like to surround myself with the tough guys if I possibly can. Is that right? Even on the golf course? Yeah, well, yes. Yeah. You ask Mark Andre Fleury, he'll do the same thing. You always take the tough guys. It'll protect the front of the net for you. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, all right, the, the, uh, the game started here, so we're about 13 minutes in at scoreless. How is Montreal going to mm-hmm. compete and win the series? Well, playing tight. Um, I thought the game. I thought game one was the one that they would win. To be honest with you, um, I obviously I'm not very good in Vegas <laughs> at, <laughs> at at uh, at, at betting the uh, the over and under there. But I I, um, I I just thought that you know because of how well they played defensively that they could maybe shut down the boisterous crowd in Tampa Bay and quiet them down and bore them out of their mind and win the first game. But they didn't look like themselves either. They didn't make crisp passes. Their execution wasn't great. And I thought they were the team that looked a little rattled. Um, but so far in this game, they look like the Montreal Canadiens that, uh, that we've seen so far uh, in the playoffs, and you guys have seen them. And uh, so how can they do it? Well, they're not going to win it 6-5. Uh, to five. That's for darn sure. They've got to win these games 3-2, to two, and I think they're off to a good start here. You think, well, we, I mean, we want to give the Canadians credit for uh, the, the penalty kill and the style they're playing and beating the Vegas Golden Knights. But as you were watching that, were, were you getting frustrated? I mean, the fans here were getting were being driven freaking batty. Yeah. Um, it just, it, just, it seemed like, yeah, it just seemed like the Knights were very stubborn in their approach and, and, and trying to skate it through the blue line. I, I don't know. You tell me what you saw in the Knights and how they fell in that series. Well, I'm obviously impressed with the Knights and I have been all year long, and, you know, especially broadcasting on a daily basis, the St. Louis blues. I mean, I, I you know, I, I saw what the blues did to, to win game seven in Boston. So I, I know what that takes and by watching, and, uh, you know, I really thought 
that Vegas didn't look comfortable in a lot of situations. And, uh, you know, they stayed to the outside. And, and uh, I thought their execution wasn't as good as what I've seen uh, both against Colorado and, and, uh, and during the regular season. So there's a lot of things that I thought that, uh, that Vegas didn't do, you know, well or didn't do calmly like they normally would do. And, and obviously there's a couple of guys that, that weren't impactful. I didn't think Jonathan Marshall was, was an impactful player, whereas during the course of the year, at least he darts in and out and then bang, he can zip you for a goal or two or make a play or put some pressure on you. So all in all, I, you know, I, 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 for whatever reason, I didn't think Vegas played their game. And I, I have to think after you go that long in a series that the other team is doing something really well to get in your kitchen a little bit and rattle some pans around. And I, I, thought, I thought Montreal played a real composed game and didn't get caught up in uh, anything other than playing their own game. Darren, with uh, with as much as you've watched St. Louis, and of course Vegas fans got more of a look at the Blues this year than than they have in previous years. Take us inside the head of Jordan Bennington, because obviously some clips make their way around of Jordan Bennington being feisty and and uh, you know things that don't have to do necessarily with goaltending. But what kind of competitor is this guy? Well, he is. You know what? The only thing that matters, I think, is what your teammates think of you, and that's that's what I found with Jordan Bennington. Is that um, there was a game in, in um, San Jose, the team wasn't playing very well. He got pulled, but he played really well in the game, and he came off. You know, he came off the ice because um, the backup goaltender doesn't stay on the bench in San Jose. He actually stays in the runway on the opposite side, and. So he was kind of beeline towards the bench, and you could tell that he was going to go by the bench and, and, you know, kind of fire them up. And instead, somebody on San Jose said something, so he kind of barked back at them, and then he faked like he was going to high-stick Carlson, and he kind of spooked him a little bit. And then he went to the bench, and then he went off the ice and and, and kind of faked like he was going to fight Devin Dubnik. And at the end of the day, he does whatever it takes to spark some energy. And I liken him to John McEnroe. I was a big tennis fan growing up. And I know John McEnroe didn't just whack his, uh, his racket on the ground or yell at a, an umpire or referee just for the sake of it. He did it mostly because he wasn't playing very well. And that got his energy going and uh, a little reverse psychology. And I, I think Jordan has a lot of that in him. So all the stuff that you read about him, he's a good person. He takes the game seriously. He respects the game. He works hard, and he is a competitor. And, um, you know, the, the toughest thing I think is I thought that Colorado team was a tough team for a goaltender to play against. And he's obviously had the Blues. They've had the Blues number the last couple of years, including Bennington. Yeah, no question. I think a lot of teams uh, could say that about the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, Darren, you reference uh, you know John McEnroe and the '80s, and I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go back a little bit, and I'm gonna do something that's a little bit selfish to me. And I, I appreciate your your grace and humor in playing along with me here. Um, I, I am a New Jersey Devils fan, born and bred, mm-hmm. um, and I, I went through a lot of hard years uh, as a Devils fan. But you know, of course, that game in 1987 is one of the moments that stands out to me. Of course, as a Devils fan, <laughs> finally making the playoffs. What do you remember about that game in particular? I'm, I'm really curious to, to hear your recollection of it. Well, we we had already clinched the playoff spot. We played the, the New York Rangers. Uh, two days before that, and they were fighting for their lives. It was Quebec Nordiques, Rangers, and the Devils fighting for the last spot. So c- going into our game, um, we knew that the Devils had to beat us in regulation or in the five-minute overtime because there was no shootout after that. And if they didn't win after that, then it was a tie game, and they were not going to advance. And there was one point during that game, Kirk Muller and I had you know played against each other in ju- junior, 
socially we knew each other a little bit. And there was one time during that game because they pepper, they they peppered us. I think I I think I end up facing 43, 44 shots, something <laughs> like that. It was it was a mid forties number. And and he at one point and he's such a good guy and he he came by, tapped me on the pad and said, "Would you let us score? We need to win this game." <laughs> <laughs> and I I just remember thinking like I knew, but I was trying to get on a roll. I was probably going to be the starter as a rookie for the first playoff game against St. Louis. So I'm trying to find my game, too. And, uh, you know, and sure enough, you know, the shot by Joe Sorella from the right point. Um, I played against Joe. He played for Oshawa. I played for the Ottawa 67s in Belleville. So he fires it low to the stick side. I boot out a hefty rebound, and I thought it was good enough to get out of the zone, and it goes right on John McClain's stick, who, by the way, John McClain in junior, midget, band hockey, he was in a different but I remembered him, and he always scored on me. I seemed to always oh. score on me. And sure enough, John McClain put that one in there. So um, I watched the ser- – like, I stayed on my one knee for a little bit, and I watched them celebrate, and I was I was kind of pretty excited for them. I mean, Sean Burke was the goaltender. I think he went on a wicked run there from the Olympics. And, you know, I mean, we, we were still playing the St. Louis Blues in St. Louis. It didn't matter to us. So it was kind of exciting to be a part of that and see it. And the other part is Jack O'Callaghan was a former teammate of mine, and he was on the New Jersey Devils. So I remember yeah. just watching uh, OC kind of jump around in there. I was, I was kind of fired up for him, to be honest with you. That's super cool. Uh, just, just I appreciate you uh, going back and, and you know the story <laughs> about Mueller in particular is a. Uh, it's just awesome. I mean, those are the guys that uh, those are the guys that made me a hockey fan uh, growing up in the old Christmas tree devil days. And uh, you know that game was obviously a, a pinnacle in a lot of ways. So, very very cool. What's uh, what's what's your prediction for what we're going to get the rest of the series between uh, Tampa and Montreal? I, I I believe that Montreal will win a couple of games. Um, I think that and this is just me. I think Tampa is going to win it in six. Um, you know, a lot of times you you try to be the hero and you. Say, well, Montreal's going to win this, and well, I, I I don't think they're good enough from top to bottom. I just think Tampa Bay is just a well-built machine, even without Kalorn in this game. And Kucherov, you know, we weren't sure going into Game One, but he looked just fine. So, I, I, I their goaltender. I mean, if you're going to throw, this is just me, but if you're going to throw Grubauer at the other end, not taking you know one person and knocking him down, but if it was Grubauer against Carey Price, then I'd go. Uh, but it's not. It's Vasilevsky. And there's been no better goalie in the league than Vasilevsky for me the last three years, truly. I mean, the guy's a rock. And, and, and you know, he could have easily won the Vesna Trophy this year. I'm glad Mark andre did because I think he was fantastic. And I think that Vegas gave up a lot of good scoring chances uh, as parts of the year. So, especially when they were playing, what, five defensemen, ten forwards. They were, they were, it seemed like because of the cap, they were playing short a lot, too. And so, and, and COVID. So, but getting back to it, that's why I think the Tampa Bay is, is going to win this game. I think they're going to uh, the series, and I think they'll win the series in six. Darren, thank you so much. We appreciate it. My pleasure, guys. Have a great night. You too. There he is, Darren Pang, uh, goalie in the NHL, a longtime voice of hockey as an analyst, and he was a big part of the ESPN uh, package for years and years and years, and ESPN's back. It's coming up uh, right around the corner as they jump right in with some of the coverage of some of the offseason stuff like the expansion draft and the actual draft in the NHL. The show never ends. Watch the Cofield and Company Late Night Pod tonight at 9 o'clock on YouTube or at Steve Cofield on Twitter. Cofield and Company presents... Hey, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Big up, big up. 
grab bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Stick your hand in there, Dave. All right. All right, my Canadians. Well, actually, my Lightning, too. Uh, scoreless. Scoreless right now. Two minutes left in the first, as I've uh, pointed out, if if you're going to future and series bet, you got to – sometimes, Candy, you got to bet when the chips are down a little bit. So I've been telling people the last couple of days that, uh, you know, when the Lightning look like they might be in a little bit of trouble against the Islanders, you could actually get the Lightning at 3-1 to one to win the Stanley Cup when they were, you know, 190 even at a lot of points. Uh, obviously going into the series at 280. Uh, so I grabbed them at 3-1, to one, and then I was kind of hoping for the Canadians to get – Blown off the ice in game one. They cooperated. And the Canadians to win this series went to five to one. So three to one on one side, five to one on the other. Let's go. It sounds to me like you, sir, have some profit locked in somewhere. A little bit. A little bit. I'm not saying I'm betting big money, but uh, every once in a while, it works out. Um, It hasn't in baseball because, man, one of the things I should have jumped on are the Diamondbacks on the road. And I'm sure a lot of people are like, man, that's lucrative on the other side. (laughs) <laughs> I jumped on the Padres the other day uh, and I broke the streak and now Arizona just continues to stink on the road as I was looking at the baseball board. Uh, Zone is one of the early finals in. They lose 7-4 to four against St. Louis. Uh, the Cardinals have been one of the disappointments in all of baseball, just 40 and 41. Uh, you know in that division, man, it it looked like the Cubs were going to have a chance to compete with the Brew Crew, but the last three days were a friggin' disaster for the Cubs against Milwaukee. Steve, it is hard to explain what happened to the Chicago Cubs today. This is one of the strangest games that's been played all year. It's one of the strangest games that's been played in many years. The Cubs were up a touchdown in the first. They were up seven to nothing. By the time we got to the fourth, they were down oh fourteen to seven. How is that possible? I mean, I get it. Bears and Packers, Chicago and Milwaukee. Like, this is the way it goes, right? Aaron Rodgers always wins in the end. They got the two touchdowns and came back. But my God, what is going on with the Cubs to blow a 7-0 lead in the course of three and a half innings? The Brewers are a better organization. They just are. They're ahead of the Cubs. I'm not sure what the Cubs are doing moving forward because now at one point I think they were 11 over 500 now they're just three over 500 so we'll see what happens with Chris Bryant I'll mention it on the Milwaukee side because today they had home runs from uh, Willie Adamas and they had two from uh, Luis Urias and it's funny I'm looking at the numbers and I'm like my god Adamas is like he was not good with the Rays and the Rays don't make mistakes like that that was their shortstop of the future now, they have a shortstop of the future they brought up, but it doesn't mean you just give away Adamas. They traded for a couple of relievers. All right. Well, Adamas is hitting like 280 with seven home runs with the Brewers. And then the great thing is, uh, you know, I was looking back on the uh, Urias trade from the Padres. That was uh, Grisham for Urias and some other players. And the headline a month ago on uh, one of these fan base sites, the Luis Urias-Trent Grisham trade is officially now a bust. A bust for who? And I, the writer was suggesting that it's a disaster for the Brewers. This little dude, this little dude now has 10 homers and 39 ribbies before the halfway mark. And uh, he's, what, all of 24 years old. So it actually looks like the Brewers have 
built themselves their middle infield of the future. I've been telling y'all since the preseason on the Brewers, I've got the receipts. This team just needed a little bit of hitting. The Adamas thing worked out for everyone. No doubt. No doubt. All right, NBA basketball is coming up. Game six, a big one. Come on, Clippers. Stay alive in this one. Phoenix and L.A. going at it.